ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Competition is My man Ross Jackson, and we are the Dome Patrol here on Hard to Paint. Saints coming off a win in the uh, opening round of the playoffs against the Chicago Bears. A pretty dominant win, but not a perfect one, Ross, would you say? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you had a slow start, which the Saints playoff game slow start makes perfect sense. It's what we've seen the last couple of years. But we saw them come out with a win despite that slow start this time. Uh, which isn't necessarily the same thing that we've seen. So there were some things to take away from it that were positive and some things to take away from it that were a little uh, disappointing, especially in the early goings. Um, yeah, let's, let's start with the way that the game started because it did not start off with a lot of rhythm for the Saints offensively. Um, you, you had some opportunities really for Chicago to kind of make hay, uh, most notably uh, early on when Chicago – runs a trick play mm-hmm. Mitchell Trubisky has Mims wide open he beats Williams he beats uh Lattimore and it just falls right down his chest and that really was the last real scoring threat for the Bears mm-hmm. um and, and when the game was being contested right but the Saints showed a lot of bend early yeah, I think you saw a little bit of that. But, you know, when it comes to trick plays and things, the Saints have always kind of been susceptible to that. And I think we can all remember um, Christian McCaffrey on a 50-yard touchdown just a couple years back, things like that. Uh, Javon Wims did a really good job selling that. I mean, he came right up to Malcolm Jenkins, put hands on him like he was going to block him, and then just swim moved out of the way and then took off from the field. So it was a well-designed play. And I was actually surprised to see that the um, – that the Bears didn't rely a little bit more on that, that they didn't go to more of those trick plays. We didn't see much more of that type of aggressiveness throughout the rest of the game. So outside of that, you didn't really see them try to really uh, take catch the Saints off guard. They went very static. They went with, with all the things they usually do, the usual bag of tricks to keep Mitch Trubisky comfortable. They went to all that, and that's where the Saints defense really stepped up and was able to take everything away because they took away everything that basically makes Mitch Trubisky Mitch Trubisky. What I was surprised at, and the commentators talked about this a lot on both broadcasts, and we'll get into the Nickelodeon stuff in a minute, but yeah, um, it did seem like Mitchell Trubisky was not given a lot of freedom, particularly as the deficit started to grow. Mm-hmm. I was really surprised that they didn't do more, um, give him some more edge looks, you know, give him the chance to either run or throw. Or and then I was really surprised late that they didn't, you know, op- it, it never seemed like they tried to open up anything to challenge the Saints, especially in the areas where you know, like you said, whether it's not just um, trick plays, but if you can get some involvement uh, from your other players and and try to create some confusion for the Saints, which is something Tampa Bay is going to do, Mm -hmm. they didn't try that at all. Chicago pretty much just lined up and ran plays. Yeah, pretty much after they lost Anthony Miller for the game, they were very, very thin at wide receiver already coming into it. Uh, And then once they lost Anthony Miller – Three wide receiver sets went away. Um, you know, those sort of spread offense sets went away. They only ran four bootlegs with Mitch Trubisky, which I thought was really interesting. I thought we would see more of those design rollouts. He was three or four on those, but two of them went for, I mean, it sort of declined the entire way through because it was an 11-yard one, the second play of the game. Then it was two yards. Then it was zero yards because it was incomplete. And then it was like one yard for the last one. 
And so they, the saints did a really good job taking that away. Uh, they took away a lot of those crossing patterns that they, that the, the bears like to do. They congested the middle really well. So that nobody was able to just kind of eke out on the perimeter wide open or anything. You know, I, I think that part of the reason why the offense never opened up is because Matt Nagy has had to sort of tailor make an offense. That's very condensed in order to play to what Mitch Trubisky can do. You know, Matt Nagy was supposed to bring this wide open, wide zone offense to Chicago that was going to bring sort of that hybrid college system to uh, to to their game plan. But they can't run that with Mitch Trubisky. Mitch Trubisky puts limitations on that. And so does Nick Foles, for that matter. And so I think that for them, they've had to make adjustments in terms of ways to try to work receivers open within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage where Mitch Trubisky is comfortable. And that's one of the reasons why you never saw them open it up, because I honestly don't think that they really have that option on the offense. And certainly the the built in shot plays that they have, the Saints handled extremely well in the back end. It was good to have Marcus Williams back for sure. And the focus has to be on the defense because the defense played so well. I mean, a, another mm-hmm. record-breaking performance for them in yards um, in the postseason and first mm-hmm. downs and uh, points as well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you talk about the defensive line, again, just coming through and, and doing a fantastic job both against the run and creating pressure throughout. Um, Marcus Davenport in particular mm-hmm. um, was really phenomenal. Sheldon Rankins. Yeah. Outstanding. Um, and then, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, even at the, at the line of scrimmage. And of course, in dealing with receivers, you can you can talk about what he does, you know, with his mouth. But CJ Gardner Johnson had a phenomenal on field game, too. He really did. He really did. Yeah. And he he is somebody that has uh, he led the team in tackles again this week. And he's somebody that every week just continues to improve in coverage, which is one of the places where probably the largest one of the largest question marks was about him coming into uh, the NFL. We, we knew that he was somebody that could play close to the line of scrimmage. We knew that he was somebody that could be tenacious in that type of a role. We knew that he could be, you know, that slot corner. But how is his deep ball coverage when he's not playing at the safety spot? That was going to be something that was very interesting to watch about him coming into the NFL. He has continued to progress on that in his second season. I don't see any any reason why that slows down or why that degradates at any point or regresses at any point uh, i'm excited to see what his future looks like because you're right like we can talk about him and his attitude and and the way that he's you know uh you know talking trash to these players and everything like that but as much as he's talking he's walking like he's producing something out on the field and he's playing really well um the defensive line held the or i'll, I'll say the front seven held the uh the bears running attack to two and a half yards per carry that's huge. 46 yards rushing on the day for the Bears. Not a lot of opportunity for them there. And that's another big reason why the run game, I'm sorry, the passing game never got started because the play action was ineffective. The play action can work if you don't have an established run game because you always have to respect the run. But it's really tough for it to run if you don't have a run game and you're down two scores. You know what I mean? Like that at that point. We're not buying it. Yeah, <laughs> at that point, like nobody's nobody's looking for it. Um, and, and you saw early in the game with that trick play that the sort of play action misdirection stuff worked because one of the reasons why that play ends up working is because Marcus Williams has to play down first because Cordero Patterson has the ball in his hand before he pitches it off to Mitch Trubisky. So, you know, you saw that working early in the game, but then you didn't see any of even the standard play actions working later. Um, what what? Do you think conceptually the defense did a great job at um, and was the game plan simply like as you think it is most times against the Bears? You take care of the run first and you do those things. You make it physical for their receivers, make them unable to to, to get separation uh, because they are big play receivers rather than guys who are going to 
go on eight, 10, 11, you know, 12 play drives. That's not what the bears are really good at. Um, and then, like you said, once they got down, it became a lot simpler uh, mm-hmm. for Dennis Allen. It, it just seemed like conceptually they had the bears figured out from, from the opening. Yeah. Yeah. It was a very great system uh, for the saints on Sunday and, and what they were able to do. Um, they did a good job taking away any of the, the shot, routes or shot plays that were built into play calls they did a good job of that over on the back end um and then they congested the middle and then they caused and wreaked a lot of havoc at the line of scrimmage to, to limit the run game i think that's very much what they set out to do but certainly what they achieved uh and if they didn't set out to do it then uh be interested to figure out how they got it but they they did a very good job across all that they basically you know just like we mentioned earlier anything that makes mitch trubisky comfortable they took away and they forced him to have to try to make plays that he's not comfortable making on the offensive end, it felt like the job was really just to get out of there. That mm-hmm. once the Saints figured out that they had they could win this game, they weren't risking too much, right. um, you know, with the play calls. Uh, and then, of course, as you saw some of the player developments, uh, particularly with Taysom Hill, mm-hmm. who is starting to become a, you know, not only just an injury question mark because he's dealt with the concussions, but just the turnovers continue to be his huge problem for him. Um, his usage He's still a very vital part of this team, but there have to be legitimate concerns now about how you how you can use Taysom going forward. Yeah, I mean, you know, there especially in the playoffs when you know one play can swing everything. Taysom Hill is kind of your volatile piece because he could swing the game in your favor, but just as quickly at this point, which I don't think is a concern that we had about him last year, particularly as a receiver, runner, or as a ball carrier. Uh, now you have to be a little bit concerned the opposite way, you know. Um, I, I don't know if he throws a pass for the rest of the playoffs. I think he does. I think he does because I think Sean Payton is just going to he'll, he'll have his faith in Taysom Hill. And that's just what it's going to be. But the question will be, you know, at what point does it pay off versus do we continue to see, you know, is, is the risk reward worth it at any point? Uh, and we've seen the reward, right? We saw the wild card game last year against the Minnesota Vikings, the 50 yard completion down the field to Deontay Harris. It was essentially pretty close to that same route concept and they and play and and everything that that they had dialed up but he just took too long to throw the ball i mean he hitched like three times before being ready to let it go and you're, you're not gonna be able to do that i think it was 3.9 something seconds so he had more than enough time to throw that pass there was no pass rush that was on him within two and a half or anything like that he had more and that's than more than like that one out. point that's 1.6 seconds longer than drew Brees would typically almost exactly. 1.7 seconds longer than it would take drew Brees to get the ball out of his hands typically. yeah exactly and so you know i don't know if at, if at one point you say all right, that that part of Taysom is done for the rest of the playoffs because we're now in single elimination conversation and we can't afford those. Because at the same time, he can afford you a big play in that situation if he just throws the ball that much sooner, you know, 0.3 seconds sooner, and that's the touchdown. He could have thrown it anywhere to the field side <laughs> and Deontay Harris would have been able to get to it. So I, I think that there's that part of the conversation, but I do think that you're right that at a certain point, it, it turned into ball control. I mean, you saw um, Alvin Kamara have... Uh, it was f- eight total carries in the first half. Then he had five touches in the in the third quarter, and then fifteen carries in the in the fourth quarter. So at one point, it just turned to ball control. The Saints ran over seventy plays. The Bears ran just forty nine. The Saints had you know far more first downs than the Bears had, who only had eleven first downs. Four of them coming on the final drive. So we saw a lot of that. Three minute three thirty eight minutes and fifty eight seconds of time of possession for the Saints. Just over twenty one minutes for the Bears. We saw that really turn into all right. The defense is playing great. 
the offense is, you know, getting into rhythm. We saw Michael Thomas and Drew Brees get into better rhythm throughout the game. We saw Deontay Harris really step up. We saw Alvin Kamara get back into the into the swing of things after not practicing all week. I wasn't surprised to not see him touch touch the ball a ton in the first half. So I was glad to see him get a little bit more involved in the second half. But eventually it just kind of became, all right, this game is in the bag, essentially. And so they possessed the ball three times, the Saints did, in the second half. They were dominant in terms of the ball control game. And, and it seems also that, that Sean Payton was setting it up for this weekend's game. He knew and you start knowing, okay, I'm not going to put anything else on film. I'm not going to show you why waste anything of value against right. the Bears. Uh, and I think that that was, that was also by design as well, um, yeah. considering the, the level up an opponent uh, this yeah. week. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think that's absolutely right. I mean, this is a team, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that they're very familiar with. They know the things that work. They know the things that don't work. And so if you have things that work that are kind of in the bag and that you're you're waiting to use, don't waste them when you're already, you know, at that point, a 21 to three, potentially even 28 to three. If they had, you know, Drew Brees would have been able to get a little bit closer or if they would have tried a little bit harder at the goal line. I don't know that they were. I think they were running plays there because they had to right. more than it was. <laughs> they really wanted to get into the end zone. Uh, and so, you know, I, I think at that point they knew what that game was. And so there was no reason to risk any future success based upon, you know, trying to win a game that was already won. Before we move on to Tampa, um, mm-hmm. we have to kind of address Will Lutz as well. Mm-hmm. It's just become a thing now. Uh, Saints bring in a kicker to, to look at, and, and you just mm-hmm. wonder um, with Will Lutz, is it in his head at this point? Um, or just like with any, for any team, eventually kickers have expiration dates. And yeah. uh, it just kind of feels like the Saints are tiring of Will Lutz. Yeah, it's 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 been an interesting thing to watch over these last few weeks. Um, I, I have no idea what it is. I have no, like, you know, great insight into what's going on with it or anything like that it's just a strange thing to see kind of happen out of nowhere especially after will lutz historically was one of the most accurate and one of the most reliable kickers the saints have had in their history and so i i don't know what exactly is going on i I hope that he's able to get it corrected i mean just for his own sake we know that sean payton He's, he tires quickly of kickers uh, and he's willing to move on from kickers very, very quick. I know he has been very supportive of Will Lutz uh, in terms of, you know, post-game pressers, uh, media availability, things like that. But, you know, I mean, they brought in both a long snapper and a kicker who are now on the practice squad, which I think is also smart. It's also the right thing to do, because if you have to put a kicker on the COVID list on Friday, then you might lose a game on Sunday. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Blair Walsh is really the right choice um, based upon what you're seeing from Will Lutz. I'm not sure that you're seeing anything different than what you're going to get from Blair Walsh. But regardless, I mean, it's smart to have that in the back pocket if you need it for COVID related purposes or for underperforming purposes. And quite frankly, he could Will Lutz could be a deciding factor in this game this weekend. Exactly right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, on the one hand, you want to be prepared. And at the same time, it's like, how do you also the psyche of kickers is something that is very has been discussed for a long time. Mm-hmm. When they get into the ruts, how do you get them out of them? Uh, it's just you don't want them to go into a real rut. Uh, it's one thing to miss right. an extra point here and there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, if it comes down to a 47-yarder at the end of this game this weekend, uh, the Saints need to be confident that they can send him out there. Yeah, exactly. We talked about this last week and, and week four, kind of as we, we figured that this the roads would lead to Tampa. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the Tampa would – would come to New Orleans. Um, we talked about the three times thing. Um, this has happened 17 prior times mm-hmm. uh, in NFL history. 
the team that won two has won 12 out of the previous 17 playoff matchups. Mm-hmm. Saints won their last one with, you know, three and zero against the Panthers. I think the last time in the NFL, the team reversed it was 2000 and uh, what year was it? I want to say 2000 and the year that the, the first time that the Giants won the Super Bowl. I think that was 07. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. When they when they beat uh, Tampa. Uh, I mean, beat, beat uh, Tom Brady when he was in New England. Uh, the, the perfect season. So I think that was the last time that it's happened. So the odds are certainly in the Saints' favor, but this is a very different Tampa Bay team than the one they played in Week 10. Mm-hmm. It very- is. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, uh, the time when the, the Saints and Tampa faced off the first time, Antonio Brown was playing his very first game. He was still getting to know the offense. He was still figuring out his role in the offense. He now is a little bit more settled. Um, Ali Marpet wasn't in that game uh, against the Saints. He's a big part of their offensive line. Uh, you've seen the Tampa Bay Buccaneers use a sixth blocker more over the past few weeks as well. That has been to their benefit of keeping pressure away from Tom Brady. Because the one thing that we know is that if you get Tom Brady off his spot, he struggles. There's no question about it. He's, He's not throwing on the run. Yeah. Yeah, he's not throwing on the run. He's not escaping the pocket and, and getting the ball out. He's not resetting the pocket. That's not what he does. He's not extending plays. And so you have to be able to get after him. That's how the Saints have won the last couple of times where they, you know, the week one, they used a lot of uh, three-man sets, uh, three-down lineman sets, and then brought blitzers from different areas like they like to do out of that. They'll usually put seven players up at the line of scrimmage and then drop three in a coverage and then blitz one. But it's different in terms of who those four players are. Uh, and then week nine, they were in the, you know, they were getting pressure with their four down linemen the entire game. And so it's going to come down to who's available for the Saints, who's available for the the, the Bucks. And uh, but I do think that these I think these are both different teams than who played, uh, you know, the, the second time that they met this season earlier on. But I do think that Tampa in particular has found its groove in a way that, you know, is a little bit. I'll say a little bit concerning going into the game because of the amount of weapons that they have. Now we can talk about who takes away whom and everything like that uh, in terms of the passing game, but the saints most important and sort of number one bulletin board material for them should be getting pressure on Tom Brady on the defensive side and then being able to execute on the offensive side. And the guy most responsible for a lot of the pressure Mm -hmm. on Tom Brady this year has been Trey Hendrickson. He still is an injury concern um, his availability is, is, is key for the, for the saints in this game. Yeah, absolutely. So he, he has a neck stinger and Nick Underhill mentioned that they're going to try him out during practice all throughout this week. And then just sort of see how it's, how it's working for him, if it's working for him, and then they'll make a decision based upon that. Um, it was something that was sort of re-aggravated during the practice week, I believe right on Wednesday, the first day of practice last week. So he'll be somebody to really keep an eye out on. Wouldn't be surprised to see him limited to start on Wednesday and then see how he ends up progressing or not uh, throughout the rest of the week. But he would be uh, a key factor for them because you're right. I mean, he got three sacks on Tom Brady in a row at one point in the the week on matchup. And so it's, it is a big deal to have him there. Donovan Smith is somebody that has continued to struggle for Tampa, particularly in his matchups against new Orleans. So that is a winnable matchup. Uh, they'll have an interior offensive lineman uh, that will be out. Alex Kappa yeah. at right. That's guard. huge. 
that's a really big one because that interior pressure in particular is something that can affect Brady just as much as it affects Breeze. It really affects just about any quarterback in the NFL. Um, and so that would be really important. And so you would want to see, you know, some of that interior pressure. And then ideally, if Trey Hendrickson's able to make it back, if he can continue to win his matchup with Donovan Smith, that puts the Saints in a really, really good position to where even if they do have some, you know, stumbles out of the gate on the offensive side, that would keep them in the game early. Yeah, because Cap is being replaced by a guy who's taking less than 50 NFL snaps. Right. So you get a huge experience. And Kappa hadn't allowed a sack the entire mm-hmm. season. Now, of course, that stat can be situational. But of at course. the same time, it's on the board. And a number of dropbacks that Brady has, Kappa's got no sacks attributed to him. So losing him is a big deal for Tampa. But the, the, the philosophical changes for Tampa offensively, using more 12 personnel, Mm-hmm. Um, running a lot more um, motion with their offense, which is something that is not something Bruce Arians typically likes to do. But right. Tom Brady basically, uh, you know, got his way on that. Yeah. He said, this is what I need. So they ran a lot, a lot more motion. Um, they started killing, really killing man defenses, which the Saints love to play primarily. Um, but they destroy man. Um, and then Antonio Brown, like you said, from week that first week where he came in, to now, and you saw last week him score big plays, and we've mm-hmm. seen Tampa. The thing that we were concerned about is them being able to produce downfield plays. Tom Brady's been getting more and more twenty-plus yep. yard plays um, as the season has gone on. They've been far more effective downfield, and that has been the area of concern always with the Saints is that ability to maintain coverage down the field in those zone situations um, that the Saints may be pushed into against this offense. Yeah, I could see the Saints going to a defensive style akin to what they did against the Atlanta Falcons both times, where they focus on taking everything away short, taking everything away intermediate, and then forcing the quarterback to hold on to the ball to wait for deep route concepts to develop, and then trying to get there with the down four linemen. It only works if you can get there. It only works if you can get the pressure. Uh, but if you can't get the pressure, then you know, you're susceptible to, to those big plays, and the guys in the back end have to be able to make those plays. So... The secondary matchup against the wide receivers is going to be key, as always, when it comes to these two teams. This is a defense that is built to beat this team, to be, you know, to match up with these receivers twice a season. These receivers and a receiving core that's built to match up with the Saints defense twice a season. You know what I mean? And so I, I think you have to look at these two as being pretty evenly matched when it comes to that. Maybe even still giving the edge to the wide receivers because they do have the Brady factor. Right. Which I think is a fair which I think is a fair thing to credit them with. Um, I think that the the other part to look at is, you know, the motioning and beating man to man go hand in hand because it allows Tom Brady to be able to sort of diagnose the defense ahead of time. So the Saints disguising is going to be really, really important in this. one. you're not going to confuse Tom Brady, but you still need to give him different. Uh, a pre-snap look and a post-snap look, right? Like right. you still have to be able to rotate your safety. You still have to be able to do all these things to still force him to read something as opposed to giving him exactly what you're showing him at the, you know, at the snap, which the Saints usually don't do anyway. Um, Dennis Allen's really good with disguise, all of that. Sometimes, sometimes too good uh, at disguising to the point where it confuses his own players. But they seem to all have been communicating well here recently, particularly in those deep ball situations. They've handled heavy motion teams pretty well. Um, Chicago's a heavy motion team. Uh, the the Panthers are a heavy motion team. The San Francisco 49ers are a heavy motion team, but none of them are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. None of them are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And so you, you can only give so much credit there. Uh, but 
you know, at least they've seen it. It's not something that's brand new to them. The thing that's going to be most interesting is what do the Saints do different defensively that they didn't do the first two games versus what is it that Tampa does offensively that they did do over the first two games? That that will be the big sort of key factor. How big is it not having? And you hate talking about players who aren't playing, but Alex Anzalone in this situation versus Quan Alexander is a is a difference. Though Alex Anzalone has a lot of experience, you know, he's played against. Mm-hmm. He was there. He was the starter, you right. know, earlier on. So you know, this he knows this system. It's not that, but it is a different person in attacking, particularly when you're dealing with those tight ends. When when Tampa is in that 12 personnel, I think that's going to be an interesting situation there for Anzalone to either you know to be picking up one of those two guys in coverage. Yeah, I think I think safeties in those coverage assignments are going to be the way that the Saints will go. Uh, because whether it be 12 personnel or 11 personnel, the Saints are probably going to go out there and nickel uh, for the most part. And so you have the two safeties that are available to take on those tight ends and the two corners that are available to take on the receivers at the perimeter. The way that they've been using Anzalone has been a little bit more, a uh, little bit more of a slim down role than what you've seen from Quan mm-hmm. Alexander, but not in a way that it's been putting too much responsibility on anybody else, particularly Demario Davis, who's you know, continued to do what he does. And so you see Alex Anzalone being used in Quan Alexander's like blitzing role for instance, to just get a fifth or a fourth in there, depending on how many uh, down linemen they they rush. Uh, you'll see him drop back into coverage in terms of spot zones. You see him taking care of the flats like Quan Alexander did. So I think that those are going to be the assignments that he's going to be on. If he ends up on, in an assignment to where he's matched up with Rob Gronkowski or Cameron Bray, expect it to be attacked and he'll have to figure out how to make a play there in particular. But I'll be interested to see exactly what the share of tight end coverage is between the linebacker and the safeties. That, that's something I, I think definitely to keep an eye on. Do you, uh, is it to the Saints' advantage, I guess, to know probably that you can still limit this this Tampa team to one thing? I, I don't think the Saints are intimidated by Tampa's run game, so you right. know that you can shut that down, which means that Tom Brady likely is going to throw 40-plus passes in this game. Is that to the Saints' advantage? Yeah, I, I think so. I think so, especially because, you know, those deeper balls, those deeper throws down the middle of the field – that's where the Saints have been able to take advantage of Tom Brady recently. It's why Marcus Williams has, you know, two interceptions on Tom Brady. It's why they love to play cover four against Tom Brady. You know, the all of that in terms of, of forcing him to throw the ball downfield, they've been more effective at it, yes, but if you're forcing them to do it, i.e. playing cover four, and you're getting ready for them to do it in that way, then uh, that has that has been beneficial uh, up against Tom Brady so far this season, not just for the saints, but for any team that, you know, for the, for the entire season. And so I think that knowing that you can limit the run game or expecting to limit the run game, right. You still have to do it. You have to go out there. You have to execute it. You have to limit the run game. Uh, we don't know if Ronald Jones is going to be available. It might just be Leonard Fournette. That's still a task. I know that, you know, Leonard Fournette's reputation hasn't been, the best and everything with everything that happened in Jacksonville and all that, but he's still a fun, he's still a great player. Uh, so you still have to be able to limit the run game first and foremost. I think the saints should be able to do that. And once they do, then it just comes down to taking advantage of the fact that, you know, what Tampa has to do at that point. Let's reverse it. Look at it for the saints on offense. Um, healthy, relatively speaking, mm-hmm. you have to feel good there. The line um, outside of Nick Easton, you know, right. who was, was coming back from concussion. We'll see how he feels. Um, but the line is good. Um, how did Drew Brees look to you? Um, how did Mike Thomas look to you in his first game back? Uh, and Abba Kamara, 
you know, again, like you said, I, you knew they were going to limit his touches, so I don't take a big read off of him. But I thought that Mike Thomas looked explosive off of his breaks. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked clean. He didn't look like, they, like there was something lingering with his, his ankle there. Um, you know, what did what did you see? Yeah, I mean, that's that that pretty much hits it. I mean, I, I think that when it comes down to Michael Thomas, what was so valuable to have back in there was somebody that sees the field post-snap the exact same way that Drew Brees does. So the 11-yard touchdown came down to the two of them. It was a, 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 flat, a, a hook flat concept on both sides from that sort of that, that um, uh, stool. Uh, I can't remember what they call it, but they're you know, formations where you have two players on the inside that are offset. And then you have the two receivers on the outside that are up against the line of scrimmage. And then so you ran, they ran flats with the inside guys and then hooks with the outside guys. And, you know, Michael Thomas just found himself a nice little spot between four rece- or four defenders. Drew Brees saw it immediately. And, you know, it's that kind of communication to where they're seeing the field the same way that's so valuable because a lot, the Saints use a lot of option routes, use a lot of different um, alert routes and things like that that allow uh, you to change depending upon what the defense looks like either pre or post snap. And so you have to be seeing this. It's one of the reasons why you see, you know, Jared Cook and Drew Brees having those sideline conversations every now and then because Jared Cook ran one way when Drew Brees was expecting him to go the other based on the coverage. So I think that it's it's those kinds of, of things that you're glad to see Michael Thomas back for. I expect Michael Thomas to have um, to get a lot of opportunity in this game, to get a lot of attention in this game uh, from both sides, from the Saints offense, trying to get him the ball from the Bucks defense to try to limit it. Carlton Davis. Very physical young corner has done a good job up against uh, uh, Michael Thomas. Not perfect, but he has limited Michael Thomas in certain situations and in games. And so that'll be a good matchup. I think what you're going to expect to see from Tampa Bay is putting their hands on Michael Thomas at the line of scrimmage and then bracketing him once the once the play begins. I think that that's very much what they're going to look to do. It's something that has been has proven. I mean, that's usually what you do to the best receiver on the field. Right. You give that safety help, all of that inside leverage for the corner. And then you have the the outside help for the uh, for for the by the safety or vice versa. But, um, you know, bracket coverage and everything physical off the line of scrimmage, you'll see all of that. So Michael Thomas says the, the key for him is going to be winning off the line of scrimmage. So that's why the explosiveness is really important um, for Drew Brees. You go up against a Tampa defense that was second in the NFL in pressure. Saints were third. Tampa was second. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, that as we talked about, pressure is how you affect any quarterback, but especially these two. These are both guys who don't like to have their clocks sped up. Um, right. So for the Saints, uh, how are they going to attack this Tampa defense after what we've seen out of Tampa lately? Um, they've been very aggressive, as they always are, um, but they've been also able to turn that aggression into some big plays defensively, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, I think you'll just see them do I think you'll see them do something akin to what they've done in both the other games this season and attack the linebackers. Levante David and, and Devin White have, you know, great reputations as great young, uh, very athletic linebackers, but the Saints tend to really go after them and really, really uh, uh you know, try to work on that matchup, whether it be Alvin Kamara, whether it be the tight ends over the middle of the field. So I think you'll see them continue to do that. If the Saints can continue to produce over the middle of the field like they often do against Tampa Bay, then that's going to be, you know, that's going to allow them to extend drives. It's going to allow them to keep drives open. It's going to allow them to control the ball, all of that. So I think that they'll attack the linebackers. I don't know that this is a game to where they really look to take any of these wild and crazy deep shots. I feel like this is a game that they try to dictate in terms of playing their MO, 
Like they play their West Coast style slice and dice, lean on the run game when it's available kind of game. Uh, and I think that's one of the best ways that they can attack. And it's not just going to be about, you know, Michael Thomas and his slant routes, but it's going to be, you know, or, or the out routes and sort of the staple things. But it's going to be, you know, causing congestion over the middle of the field, essentially doing what the Bears trying to do what the Bears failed to do which is, you know, pop out on the other side with these crossers. Take advantage of the fact that you're going to get a young secondary that's going to be very focused on Michael Thomas. So how can you utilize that to get some of these other players open, like Traquan Smith's touchdown against the Atlanta Falcons by Taysom Hill, for instance? Can you create that kind of situation for the other players around the offense to be able to produce? So I think that it's very much about attacking the linebackers, attacking the middle of the field, and then causing confusion for the young secondary. This is where guys like Ty Montgomery, Alvin Kamara, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, Deontay Harris, all yep. become really, really valuable because you can do things like use that aggressiveness against Tampa Bay with bubbles, with uh, you know, crossing routes, uh, with flares out of the backfield, and you have guys who are essentially wide receivers in Kamara and Montgomery uh, yep. able to come out of the backfield, make reads, and then produce after they catch the ball and, and move like running backs. Mm-hmm. I think they could all be huge weapons in this game, especially if Tampa tries to do too much to take away uh, Michael Thomas. Yeah, I think you'll see the Saints try to attack the blitz side. We know that Todd Bowles is going to blitz. There's no doubt about that. He blitzes more than any defensive coordinator in the NFL, at least up to a certain point. And so wherever that blitz is coming from, they're going to probably look to attack that side of the field. And, and that's that's not out of the ordinary. That's no. that's fundamental. That's fundamental. If If that player is blitzing, something is open over there. Right. Um, and so it, it's just like in basketball, if, if somebody's double teamed then somebody's open, you know, so you have to think about if that blitz is coming from the right side and I can see that pre-snap, then I can adjust Alvin Kamara and have Alvin Kamara run the flare route or the, or the flat route out to that side and then just dump the ball off to him once that blitzer comes clear. And then all of a sudden, Alvin Kamara has an opportunity now to make a play with some green grass in front of him. So I think you'll make some of those adjustments throughout. And this is going to be a really interesting game to watch between Brady and Breeze, not just for the intrigue of them being 40 plus years old, which is going to be the entire narrative. But you're also going to be watching two of the smartest NFL players in today's game to the players with the highest football IQ that can read a field that can, you know, predict a defense that can, you know, make changes at the line of scrimmage for their offense. These are two of the highest functioning players in terms of the mentality of the NFL game. And you get to watch them go ahead and head to head this weekend. Is the difference, the relationship between the two head coaches in this circumstance, because in my mind, Sean Payton is not afraid to go up to Drew Brees and say, Hey, man, and and I don't think Drew Brees is afraid either. If Sean Payton says, you see, we're killing them with this. We don't have you don't even have to throw it 30 times a day. We're able to do this. If that's the way the game unfolds, I think that they'd both be cool with that. You know what I mean? I don't know if there's if something goes wrong early. We don't have the equity with Brady Arians or Brady and um, offense coordinator. um, Oh, Leftwich, Ryan Leftwich. Ryan Leftwich. They don't have that kind of experience. They don't have those moments together right. where you can go to the other one with enough trust on either side. It doesn't matter to Bruce Arians at this time, Brady. We've seen that because Bruce Arians at different times this year said, no, that was on Tom. Tom right. screwed up there. And you've seen Tom Brady look at Bruce Arians and say, that's an awful play. You know, don't call that. <laughs> so if we have the two of them in that, it's it's a different relationship. And I think that the burden at, at one point, if if the Saints were, to, were able to get out to an early lead, let's say, get, get up 10 nothing. That's right. It. 
I can, it's much more likely in my mind that it, it, instead of the reverse, seeing Tom Brady say, I got to do this now on my own. I don't care what Arians is telling me over here. We get in the huddle. This is mine. Mm-hmm. If the Saints feel behind 10-0, you could figure that Sean Payton and Drew Brees can have a conversation. Right. They should all say, Drew, we ain't doing this. We ain't doing that. Let's do this. Right. And, or, and that it just seems or, like. Or vice, yeah. or, or vice versa, right? right? Like right. Drew Brees could look at Sean and say, hey, I'm not really comfortable with us doing this in this situation. And, and there will be trust between whoever it is that, you know, takes the lead. Yeah. on all that i think that's a great point because i think that that's a, a key part of the the equation particularly when it comes to playoff teams is just composure and sometimes composure is built on the foundation of the relationships that already exist within the organization and the saints certainly have stronger ones there and in the coordinator matchup between dennis allen and his defense versus byron Leftwich and his offense I, i'd almost take dennis allen in that matchup nine times out of ten because of the relationships that are that exist, as well as we've already seen Dennis Allen beat this Byron Leftwich offense twice this season. So I think you're right. I think that those the ability to communicate the 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 amount of trust versus the lack of trust, the amount of comfort versus the lack of comfort, all of that factors into particularly in a playoff game where those tensions can run so high so quickly because it's it's win or go home. It's not win and you know it's not lose and i will we'll try again next week those tensions can bubble over really really quickly and remarkably fast just simply based on the fact that if we don't do this right now then we're all done and this one is different because of where these two quarterbacks are in their careers for brady it's very much a legacy thing for him mm-hmm. because it's i right. left new england i'm in tampa i came here to to, to win and show i could do this for Breeze, this could be the end, the literal right. end. Right. Um, but And that, to me, again, it talks about that relationship because I think Breeze is willing to put the last game of his career, potentially, in his coach's hands. I think he is willing to do that. I don't know, honestly, if Tom Brady is, is going to feel the same. If he yeah. thinks this is the last game of his season, and I don't know if the players in the huddle with Tom Brady are going to be able to look over and say, that's Bruce Arians. I'm in the huddle with Tom. Tom is saying A, Bruce is saying B. Who are they going to roll with? You And you know that's how things go. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you could see some contentious nature being, you know, created in a situation like that because, you know, as as the, the team, the only option that you have is to go with what your quarterback tells you. You know what I mean? He's, that's the guy with the, with the, <laughs> he's the guy with the ball. That's the guy with the the speaker in his helmet. Like, we're not hearing what, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm an offensive lineman, I don't know what Bruce Arians just said on the sideline. Tom has to tell me that. Right. So Tom tells me something else. I got to do what Tom said. You know what I mean? And so it, it creates, it could create some contention there for sure. And again, because of the high stakes of the situation, all context included, um, that composure is going to be really, really, really important. If there's a player for the Saints, and, and Bruce Arians started to talk of Deontay Harris in particular, he's saying that's the guy that scares me. And I never believe anything that, you know, opposing a coach is saying when they start talking about who they're afraid of, that, that typically means they're trying to distract you from something else. And right. I feel like he's trying to put something in Mike Thomas's head that I'm not really concerned about you. Because even the language he uses when he talks about Michael Thomas, he's right. a chain mover. He's right. a, a security guy, you know, a very mm-hmm. dependable guy. It's That to me right. doesn't seem like he's really – 
putting Deontay Harris into a, a legitimate conversation. But mm-hmm. if you were talking about an X factor, a legitimate X factor for the Saints on both sides of the ball, who would be their offensive and, and who'd be the guy on defense that you really want to pay attention to? Yeah, um, I would say on the defensive side, I would say Malcolm Jenkins. Um, Malcolm Jenkins looked really good last week uh, up against Chicago. You'll need another really good game from him, especially if he ends up being the guy matching up with the tight ends. Uh, as opposed to you know either the linebackers or in an in in attempt to free up the linebackers to do the other things that they do very well. So I would say Malcolm Jenkins on the defensive side. On the offensive side, it's tough, but I think I'm going to go Jared Cook. Um, you you know Michael Thomas is going to be a factor. Um, I think that at this point we know Deontay Harris can be a factor, but I don't know that he's kind of that guy that we talked about at the very very beginning of the season that. Wide receiver three, wide receiver two is irrelevant. It's just going to happen per week in a Saints in a Saints team or in a Saints offense. Emmanuel Sanders, I think, serves a bigger role in this game. But I think that in terms of who might have the biggest impact, it might be Jared Cook. Because one of the big things that Tampa is going to struggle with is covering Jared Cook and covering some of these uh, covering these tight ends for the Saints. That's going to be a really big challenge for them. And if Jared Cook is able to win and if Jared Cook is able to make plays, then that ends up freeing up a whole lot of opportunity all across the Saints offense because we've seen the Saints do this before. We've seen them lean on Jared Cook. We've seen them lean on the tight ends in big games because of how much that helps open up the rest of the offense as well. Any concern on your part that this – it doesn't feel like it ends here for the Saints. It just doesn't to me. And it's a three-point game, and I get that because it's Tom Brady. And basically you're saying this is a pick them. The Saints get their three because they're at home. Right. Um, It just doesn't – I, you know, I saw what Tampa did last week, and I get it, and I understand why people have been hyped. Um, And you don't ever want to underestimate Tom Brady. But you still see some, in my mind, some fundamental flaws in that team. That there are things that they they are – they are still very much like their coach – gambling at times they don't need to gamble and I think that against a Sean Payton coach team who makes it look like he's gambling when he's not right I just I tend to to believe that the Saints win this game yeah I I do too um and on top of everything else we've seen them do it before on top of everything else we've seen them do it before and I, I just think that when we look at this team particularly the defense for the New Orleans Saints that is a defense that can carry you a, a long way in the playoffs, even if the offense does struggle a little bit. But you expect that the offense is going to continue to get better. And so if if all that happens, if this team is is healthy, you know, there are a few caveats, of course. But if this team is healthy, if this team gets, you know, on rhythm, not even excelling on offense, but if they get on rhythm on offense and they continue to do what they're already doing defensively, it's going to be really hard to stop this team. It's going to be really, really hard. And I think I would pick this team the rest of the way in that case. And I think that for Tampa, the game against Washington should not have been that close. I'm sorry. That is, that is not a, that is, Taylor Heineke coming in and playing quarterback. Like there's no reason that that game should have been that close. And then when Taylor Heineke was out, <laughs> there's no reason that game should have stayed that close. And so, and that's, you know, a defense that has a very good pass rush, yes, but that doesn't have as talented a secondary as the New Orleans Saints. They have talented pieces, don't get me wrong. Don't let me insult, but they have talented pieces, but they don't have the the back, you know, seven, essentially, that the Saints have. And so when I look at, you know, just looking at the matchup last week where Tampa did make some things happen, 
there was a lot left on the board. There was a lot of meat left on the bone there. And maybe they they did the same thing, right? Maybe they said, hey, this game is enough in the bag that we don't have to show everything. But I don't know that Tampa has shown, I don't think that Bruce Arians has shown to have the same type of constraint that a guy like Sean Payton has in terms of that type of forward thinking. Yeah, to give up 23 still. Right. To a Washington team that had no business scoring 20. You no know, business. None at all. Doesn't yeah. have the offensive weapons to do that on a consistent basis with any quarterback, let alone right. Heineke, Understand? Right. It, it made no sense to me. Right. An uh, XFL I, I, quarterback. I yeah, I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I, I wasn't impressed. And that was the thing is I felt like they needed to be impressive out of the gate. The Saints mm-hmm. don't have to be, did not have to be impressive against the Bears because it was the Bears. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like there, you knew to a, to a certain point, you figured if the Bears couldn't get to, couldn't once the Bears couldn't, you saw they couldn't score a touchdown. It, it, by the by halftime, you you said it's done. They're not right. going to get three scores in the second half. It didn't matter in what way that they were going to happen, unless the Saints did something unbelievable to collapse. Right. Right. Against in your first playoff game with Tom Brady, against a team that fell backwards into the playoffs only because of the league rules dictated that somebody from that division had to go. (laughs) Right. And because another team gave up. Right. So that's the performance you put out in your first week. And they're walking off the field like, wow, you know, Leonard Fournette did this and their offense did this, but their defense gave up 23 to an XFL quarterback making his first playoff playoff start. It it makes no sense to me. Yeah. Uh, I just, Let's end on a high note. Let's end with the broadcast because mm-hmm. I watched the Nickelodeon broadcast from start to finish. Yeah, from start to finish, I, I had to, and and there were things about it that I really enjoyed. Um, I said the one thing that I think that they missed out on, and this is nothing against the young lady who's um, uh, in the booth, uh-huh. is that they missed out putting out, putting kids who knew the game because right. both the sideline reporter and the, the young lady in the booth, uh, the two of them. Neither one of them really knew football. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that they missed an opportunity because there are 10, 12, 13, 14, 16-year-olds who love the game of football, who yeah. do, do do what we do, who right. are uh, aspiring broadcasters in and of themselves. And mm-hmm. I think that that one element, I think, would have would have been the thing that really put the icing on the cake for it. Because I think they did a good job at explaining rules. I, don't, I didn't think the graphics were too intrusive at all. Mm-hmm. I didn't think that the there was like excess noise. There wasn't anything that made me, you know, at times you go, this is, they're dumbing it down. But I'm like, I'm 45, David. Stop looking at it through the 45 year old years. But I felt like as if I were in that situation, the one thing that I would have done differently is have a kid in the booth or on the sideline who knows the game to talk to other kids in their language and yeah. say, this is football. Yeah, I got to tell you, I so Gabrielle Green was a young lady that was in the booth. Yeah, I Gabrielle liked. Yeah, I liked having her in the booth. No, and she I, was her personality's great. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. But I, I, so I think that when I think about Lex Lumpkin who was on the sideline and Gabrielle Green who was in the booth, if I was going to swap one of them out for a kid that really knew the game, it'd probably be Lex Lumpkin. Yeah, Lex was. Thanks for that. <laughs> I mean, the Obama impression, everything was was cute. Don't get me wrong, but like we ain't need all that. But when it came down to to Gabrielle Green, the the value that I thought that she brought was essentially an entry point for kids that didn't know how to talk about the game that were watching it for the first time, right. which I thought was a really, really smart choice. And so when you have Noah Eagle, you have Nate Burleson who are able to break everything down. And Nate was 
phenomenal by the way noah sounds exactly like his dad it's so strange yeah he does he sounds exactly like his dad um but i i really liked the 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 sort of chemistry between the three in the booth i liked the roles that they played in terms of color in terms of play-by-play and then in terms of this this new aspect of like somebody that's being introduced to the game that's being taught the game so that the viewer doesn't feel stupid so that the young child who is watching at home for the first time that doesn't know and is having everything explained to him doesn't feel like it's being explained to them. It feels, you know, maybe it's being explained to Gabrielle or it's being explained to both of them or, or, or whatever, you know, uh, whatever helps. Um, but yeah, Lex, I think is somebody that was great and was super fun to watch, but if you were going to swap one of them out with somebody that knew a little bit more or just prepped him a little bit better, right. Uh, for, for the game, then I thought that that would have been, that would be that spot. Cause the one, cause for me, just as a parent, I felt like it was another opportunity for, it, in a way, it's adults talking to kids again and explaining mm-hmm. to kids. And if it's a kid-centered thing, let kids have a little more control. That's the only, yeah, you know, and I, and I understand yeah. the NFL is a product. You know, the NFL is very concerned about its presentation. I get that. You don't want something to go off the rails. But we we both know that there are literally, like, hundreds of kids who yeah. would love to have had that opportunity to sit there. And like I said, if you want to control it to just the sideline situations and say, Hey, we brought this kid in and he's going to explain these certain situations and that'll be great. And we prep them and they know football. I think that would have been something I think that does connect. Cause yeah, there are two for every one of us as fans for a regular football fan, when you're watching an adult, if you're an adult, and you're watching a broadcast. There are those among us who are very detailed on, on the rules and situations of the game. And those who are just enjoying it. Just right. purely enjoying it. Right. And there you want those. Th- that's what made John Madden so great in his accessibility. That's why people like Tony Romo. Um, that's why people like certain color commentators is because they make it accessible. And mm-hmm. I think that and it's again, it's the first time that they've done this, you know, in a playoff game. Yeah. So there's a lot to do. But if that's the, the worst I got out of it, because I was not bothered by the slime cannons. I wasn't bothered by anything else. I wasn't bothered. Nothing else. It, it was fun for me. I was just like, okay, cool. The pressure's gone. I don't have to, you know, be annoyed by anything. There's right. nothing in this broadcast that's going to bother me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I completely agree. I think they did. Uh, I thought it was they did a great job. I watched both the Nickelodeon and CBS broadcast at the same time. I had one of them on the computer and then one of them on the TV while I was taking notes. And you know, one of the things that I just really enjoyed about it was. You know, the anecdotes, the accessibility, everything that they did to to create this sort of environment where it felt educational. It felt like kids were learning something brand new. And I think, too, that there were a lot of parents that watched and learned something new as well, because Nate Burleson broke down some really some things that you don't usually break down on your first time when you're watching a football game. Yeah, that's usually, you know, there are a couple of things where it's like, we'll, we'll come back to that. You know what I mean? Um, <laughs> and, so, and so I thought that they did a really good job about doing that and, and finding ways to make that um, understandable. Uh, I did. I agree with you. I don't think there was anything that was too intrusive or that was an impediment at all on the game itself in terms of the graphics, the overlays, the color, anything like that. I'm all about the slime zone. I love the slime zone. I'm all about it. Um, and you know, when I, I, I think, oh yeah, and then like the the quick cutaways and the 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 nickifying of things. I think we need to redo the Nickelodeon Valuable Player situation uh because there's no reason mitch trubisky should have won that award i don't know if that was just kids in chicago a going fam- buck wild yeah, on a that clicker. Vote, uh, yeah 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 <laughs> everything i don't know what that was but uh but yeah i mean i, I thought they did a great job about it I-, I hope they continue to do it i know cordell patterson or somebody dropped an f-bomb um 
on Nickelodeon. So, you know, somebody's got to be a little bit quicker on that dump button or they need to put in a delay or something like that. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I really enjoyed what they put together. I enjoyed the product. I thought it was cool. I thought it was accessible. I thought it was fun for kids. I thought it was a great way to introduce the game. Uh, last but not least, I guess, the you know, tell folks all the things. You're going to be obviously talking with some folks from Tampa this week. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to be making a bunch of appearances. So go ahead and hit those. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, easiest way, I'll just tell everybody right away. Easiest way to keep up with everything is at Ross Jackson Nola on Twitter, uh, because either I'm tweeting about it or I'm retweeting it. Uh, it's the easiest way to go about it. Um, so uh, you can follow me there. Uh, Locked on Saints every Monday through Friday, of course. I uh, just did a big breakdown I, I i thought you know what hell everybody else is having fun looking at mock drafts because their season's over why should we be <laughs> why should why shouldn't we have a little bit of fun too just because the team that we cover is still playing you know what i mean that's not our fault so i looked at a couple of mock drafts and everything got a really great one from the athletic and then broke down those two players that i think could keep the saint super bowl aspirations alive as early as 2021 uh, to continue moving forward and then uh took a look as well or have some conversations coming up as well uh espn uh nola of course every uh Thursday at 115 uh, or 130 somewhere around there um, got a couple of extra things but this guy my guy Rod Murray does this really great show called what's the game plan on YouTube that's like a sports trivia show but he asks like in-depth questions with next gen stats sharp football stats PFF and stuff like that it's super fun he has this whole set of rules and everything that include like you know each question is where you could do a field goal or a touchdown. is it under his name or is it under is there what's the channel name it's it's under uh what's the game plan what's the game um, plan? it's a really really cool uh little not even little i mean he's put some work into it it's, it's really really cool uh trivia game that he's got that's super dope so david oh, harrison and i me too <laughs> david harrison and i of uh locked on bucks are going to be going with our crossover on Thursday, but then on Friday we're recording our "What's the Game Plan" episode against one another. Oh, I don't have to check that one out. Saturday, yeah, it's really dope. It's really dope. Uh, so those will all be coming out all throughout the week, as well as the work, of course, over at uh, CanalStreetChronicles.com. I did see something that that was mystifying to me is that there are already these things that Andy Dalton could be a target for the Saints if they don't retain Jameis Winston, and I'm like, for what? Purpose? Uh, yeah, why? <laughs> like, I, I, I just can't see the other one. You know, and, and people already automatically once um, Deshaun Watson starts saying he's once out of Houston. Oh my god! People yeah. say, "Well, he's come. He's not coming to New Orleans again." I have to do this like I do with Pelicans fans and Brad Beal. <laughs> Brad Beal ain't coming for the Pelicans. Deshaun Watson ain't coming to New Orleans. The Saints don't have that kind. Like, it, you'd love to see it. Sure, it'd be fantastic yeah, to get Deshaun Watson in his prime. But Saints don't have forty million to move around like that. Like the right. way that they're negotiating these things, it's not they're they're checking in their savings and not set up that way. Right? Yes, that. Exactly. There's exactly. no way they can make that happen financially. But I they, they got they need time before the transfer kicks in. And I was like, it's, it's too much trouble. It's too much trouble. It is. It is. Yeah. You could. I mean, that contract is. It's, it, I don't see how they could make it fit. No. No, I mean next year's next year's contract wouldn't be that big of a deal, um, because it's only fifteen. He's actually getting paid next year. He's actually getting paid less than yes. Taysom Hill is, right? <laughs> in terms yeah. of his cap hit, in terms of his cap hit. Uh, but then it's the years after that. It's like a couple of years of forty million, and then it goes down to thirty million after that. So it's kind of a bell curve in a way. So like next season is fine, but we don't know what the cap situation is going to look like in twenty twenty two. Like we can't expect that this cap situation is only going to be present for 2021 and that everything's going to be fine moving forward we don't know that 
You know what I mean? And so it's 2022-2023 if things don't get back to normal next season in terms of fans in the stands, which seems highly unlikely, honestly, um, that that's going to happen. Then, you know, you, you're going to see residual effects moving forward from there. Yeah, and I, I just also think that, too, that's it'd be uncharacteristic of the Saints to make that kind of move. That's mm-hmm. not who they are in, in their, their philosophy of trying to sustain flexibility. You're, you're locked in. Um, with that, if, if you bring in Deshaun and you and people say that's a good problem to have, well, yeah, but part of the reason the Saints have been able to maintain this and the way that they got in trouble the first time with the cap was investing way too much money in one or two positions and then getting caught with those bills. And it's like Mickey Loomis has vowed basically never again. You ain't gonna put me in that spot anymore. Like, <laughs> no, I'm not getting in cap hell anymore. Wow. Now, it looks like it, it always looks like the Saints are in cap hell because if you play Madden with them. And you take them into dynasty mode, you ain't never getting out of cabinet. You ain't signing nobody. You ain't signing nobody. No extensions, nothing. They give you no forgiveness. Yeah, you got to turn bad. salary cap off. You got to turn salary cap off. If you're playing with the Saints, it's not enjoyable otherwise. Just like, dang, I got to cut everybody? Everybody. Like, everyone's got to go. All these trades have to be made now. I need picks. I don't have any picks. I ain't got no money. I need help. It's tough. It's tough. It is. Yeah. No, I I agree. I agree. That's a situation that, and and you're right, just be entirely uncharacteristic. Saints are very much about the idea of quarterbacks. Don't get me wrong, but they have invested in quarterbacks in free agency. They have invested in in quarterbacks that are, you know, a trade, but that are on a one year deal, getting a look at these players. Like you mentioned, having a choice, having an option. That's why, that's why Matt Stafford's contract would be far, far more likable in terms of a trade situation. I'm going to stay on that train. Yep, stay on that train. <laughs> Get Stafford out of Detroit. Save Matthew. Save Matthew. I I would love it on two ways. It would save, yes. yeah. make me so happy in two ways. It just would. It just would. But man, thank you again. Another great one for uh, Wednesday here on the Dome Patrol. I appreciate you as always giving me so much of your time um, and and just you know doing the great work that you do. And I'm looking forward to Sunday. And I uh, I know you are too. Yeah, man, absolutely. Always a pleasure to be here with you, man. I look forward to Wednesdays every week. Uh, So thank you, thank you, thank you for making this available, for doing this. It's always a pleasure. Glad to be here with you. All right, so for Ross Jackson, I am David Grubb. Y'all know how to follow me at DM Grubb on Instagram and Twitter and at HITP with DG.com. Get you some merch. Get you some merch. It's cold out there. Get a sweatshirt. (laughs) I'm going to have to find that dude. I'm going to have to hire him and do me a commercial. Merch, 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 merch. Man, that's fine, him, man. Yeah, for real. <laughs> yeah, that'll be awesome. But until the next time, I am David Grove, and this has been another edition.